Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Born to Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Marsha Waiteka. Conversations plus connections equals community. Those are my three C's. The heart of my show is what's your story? It's my belief we all have stories. Some are similar, others are uniquely different. Storytelling brings the passions of my guests to life through our conversations. So be prepared to be entertained, informed, and inspired. Welcome to today's show. Hi, everybody. I'm so happy that you're joining me today. My guest today is Jennifer Waters. She is a licensed acupuncturist and a light therapist. Welcome to the show, Jennifer. Hello. Thank you very much, Marsha. I'm happy to be here. Me too. So I, I have a lot of questions about what you do, but before we get to those questions, I thought you could just, just tell us a little bit about yourself so we can get to know you. Okay. Uh, yes, I currently live in upstate New York in Syracuse. Um, people ask me all the time, is that where you're from? And I say not exactly, although I've lived here long enough now that I feel like this is home, but I have had the opportunity to live in many places um, I went to school in Honolulu, and as an oh. undergraduate, I traveled all around the world studying health care, what I call health care. And um, I have been in private clinical practice here in upstate New York for 25 years. I cannot believe it's been that long, but it has. Wow. Time flies. Hmm. And nice. when you're in practice for a long time, you add things. Um, to your repertoire so that is what I've been doing that's that's really cool you know travel you can't put a price on that because it opens up so many avenues and I don't mean any pun intended it's it's phenomenal and so I I like to start with definitions because to me if somebody if my husband bless his heart always would say it is what it is I, on the mm-hmm. other hand, say you don't know what you don't know. And unless you ask, uh-huh. yeah. you still don't know. <laughs> so that's right. why I like to ask these questions. And by the way, you have a fabulous website. And Jennifer spells her name straightforward, J-E-N-N-I-F-E-R, Waters, W-A-T-E-R-S, dot net. So let's start with some definitions. You. You're welcome. What do you do as a licensed acupuncturist? Uh, Well, that is a good question. So, you know, acupuncture is, first of all, everybody I think knows that it, you know, comes from China, although that is debatable because if we really look into the history of Chinese medicine and acupuncture in general, we can see that in Egypt at the same time there were, you know, mummies that have been discovered that had acupuncture points on them. Um, that were clearly marked. China wants to take a lot of credit for, um, you know, having it begin there because most of the body of knowledge that we rely on today in our educational system is from China, but mm-hmm. um, we also have Tibetan medicine, which is similar but different. Um, but anyways, no matter where it's from, we are working with the electrical part of the body, um, the bioelectrical, so we're physical beings and electrical beings. And we know that through our nervous system, really our peripheral nerves. Um, 
So that is basically what we're doing is conducting the energetic flow within your meridian system, which is the, the true way system of the body. Um, so from, you know, Western terminology, we're really working with the peripheral nerves, which go into the central nerves and affect your brain chemistry. And um, yeah, so mostly what I do in the clinic is, is a lot of pain relief. That was going to be my question. So when people have acupuncture, typically, I mean, I've never had it, but typically it's designed to as a as a pain management therapy. Is that right? It is in our culture. So remember, you know, it's similar to a lot of things that are exported. So it, it takes on the flavor of the culture that it's in. So the way that Chinese medicine is practiced here in the U.S., and it's pretty new here, so it's really still in its infancy stage. So there's very different styles of acupuncture. How things are practiced in Japan, for example, is very different from Korea, is different from China, is different from Australia. So, you know, it takes on the mm – it has its own (laughs) cultural kind of flavor. So – you know, people ask me all the time, well, what style do you practice? And I say, you know, American style, which means mm-hmm. that I adapt to the comfort level, the needs of the person that I'm treating. Americans love to talk, as you know, more than anyone, mm-hmm. and develop a relationship to have a rapport with their practitioner, which is not how it is in China. And one is not better than the other. It's just different Mm -hmm. cultures, different different Mm -hmm. expectations. Yeah. So, you know, um, I like to really try to get into the root cause of what is really going on. So if you have back pain, let's say, you know, why? We've got structural components to it, and then we have the psycho-emotional component to it. So I really try to help the person kind of dig in deep and figure out what is really going on. Yeah. Does it hurt? Does it hurt when those needles get pushed into your back? Yeah. Does that hurt? I know. I I mean, it sounds like it should. I know, I know. So, again, you know, that is a good question. And I try to not think of it as, like, pain versus no pain. It's Mm -hmm. varying degrees of sensation. So you have to remember if you're in pain, Um, and then we're working with needles to get you out of pain, does that hurt? I mean, sometimes yes, sometimes no. In Japan, there is a style of acupuncture. They do very different kind of needling in Japan. It's much more superficial insertions. And there is a style of acupuncture called Toyohari, and it's done by highly trained, very skilled, blind acupuncturists that do not Hmm. even insert the needle into the skin. It's sort of like Reiki with a needle. So they're just using the needles above the surface of the skin to conduct Hmm. energy that way. That's fascinating. Isn't it? It is. It's amazing. Um, But in China, Chinese-style acupuncture has the strongest sensation. I call that a very strong sensation. So they really want to move your chi and you will be feeling that. Hmm. And so, like I said, the style that I do is American style. So it's somewhere in between. I see. Well, let's talk about light therapy. So what is, what do you do as a light therapist? Yes. So light 
So this is photobiomodulation, so light stimulating your biology. So I got involved with LED light many years ago, almost 20 years ago now, um, reluctantly. I'm a bit of a skeptic myself, and Mm -hmm. I had an injury, I had a labral tear, and I was in a lot of pain, and I had tried everything I did helped a little bit, but I still had to give up yoga, I gave up hiking, because I was very guarded because of this tear. The surgeon told me I I had two options, I could sew it or shave it. So I said, yeah, I'm not really down for that, so we're just going to see. So I was visiting a friend who had um, an LED light therapy system in her clinic and said, you know, let's just try this. And I said, oh, okay, whatever, I'll try it. I'll try anything at this point. And she put, it's a pad-based system, so diodes, light-emitting diodes, that's what LED stands for, in a neoprene pads. She stuck that on my hip, pressed start, 20 minutes later, all the pain was gone, Ooh. and I thought, wow, this is really interesting. Like, I feel significantly improved. Now, hmm. I was about, I'm going to say, six months into this injury, so it wasn't acute. It was chronic at that point, um, and so the pain started coming back in about five days, and I went back and said, you know, let's do this again. We did another 20-minute uh, light therapy session, and all the pain was gone. It repaired my labral tear. And okay. I knew it did. I did not need to go get an x-ray. I've debated this out with a couple of people because I'm very in tune with my body. I no longer had a fear of doing yoga or hiking. And all the pain was gone. My mobility was back. Hmm. And so this device cured my tear, repaired it in a total of 40 minutes. Whoa. So I said, whatever this is, I'm going to buy this. So I bought <laughs> one for the clinic. Back then, mm-hmm. they were very expensive, overpriced. Um, and I started using it in the clinic and got a lot of information, a lot of feedback, a lot of success. Um, and since then, I have added other light modalities. So um, we can get into talking more about that now if you want. Sure. Okay. Let let yeah. I I I kind of had this thought as I was putting um, our conversation together today, of, because your your website's fabulous. It really is oh, wonderful. Thank you. And and people can get a lot more information than what this one hour podcast is going to be about. So I really do, you know, recommend people visit your website. And I thought what we, we what we could do is kind of break this podcast up into three segments for for lack of a better way of saying that our body our mind and our spirit and let's start with the body so what are your beliefs about healing mm-hmm. yeah so i truly believe now so i've been in private practice for 25 years i got involved with health and healing in the mid 80s so I've been involved for a long time now, um, most of my, not even adult life, definitely my adult life, but really my early teens. Um, so I've seen a lot of sickness and a lot of healing, and I do believe that we are designed to heal, that you can heal your body. Um, it sounds simple, but when you actually get involved with the practice of 
uh, healing yourself. It can be complicated. You know, health mm-hmm. is simple. Disease is complicated. And so we have this supreme design to heal ourselves. And so we have to figure out if we're not, why? What is taking our vitality, our life force? So that's where you have to become a bit of a detective. Yeah. I, I like the way you, you, you refer to disease as a dis-ease. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I like that because what it says to me as a reader <clears throat> is it's the uncomfortableness of ease. I mean, I, I presume that that's kind of what this means. So what do you believe are the true causes of disease in the body? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that it's multi-layered, um, but it really comes down. It begins and ends with how we feel, and some okay. of it is our subconscious belief. Um, I've been hugely influenced by Dr. Bruce Lipton. I love his work, and it's not necessarily what we're thinking that's driving the the train of the problems or the solutions. It can be the subconscious mind, so what you're not thinking. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I used to treat a lot of people um, uh, for smoking cessation back when people still smoked. Sure. And I would mm-hmm. always ask them, you know, can you imagine yourself as a non-smoker? And if they said no, then chances are they weren't ready to quit. You mm-hmm. have to be able to see yourself in the state that you want to be in in order to achieve it. So we have to work out the deeper layers of the psychoemotional state. And if somebody comes to me and they do not believe, they do not feel that they can recover from their back pain or whatever it is, it's going to be a lot harder for them to recover. That's in, that that's really interesting. Um, it does, but I'm sure that there are skeptics that would say, you don't understand. You know, um, uh, half of my lung is diseased. I have um, vertebrae that are stacked on top of each other. My back is always hurting me. And uh, yeah. so, yeah, good luck on that. And, and you know, I know, and, I know. yeah. <clears throat> And we and we all know people that may fit into that category in some form yeah. or other. But yeah. when you're thinking about healing, what would you say are the best modalities in healing? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So just really quickly, Marsha, I just want to respond to that because this is what I say to sure. folks that don't believe in acupuncture. Mm-hmm. You don't mm-hmm. have to believe in it. It works on animals. There is a huge, uh, most veterinarians or a lot of veterinarians now do acupuncture on animals, and it works mm-hmm. phenomenally. And they don't believe in it. So right. there must be something to it, right? It's not that they're, it's not placebo with them. Right. Although we are the placebo. And so... Also, when people come in with a lot of x-rays and they've been really studying their MRIs and the results, I really encourage them to stop doing that. Because if you Mm -hmm. keep visualizing the problem, it's going to be much harder to overcome the symptoms. And it's not that we're going to fix your back, your spine, if it's crumbling or you have stenosis, but I do believe that we can get you um, asymptomatic. We can alleviate the symptoms. Hmm. So that's yeah, that's a bit of a difference there. Yeah, yeah. That's that's really that's that's wonderful to know, since I happen to know somebody firsthand that deals with this. Um, 
what would you say is the difference between health care and what you call disease care? So that's a good question, and I recently started thinking about that mm-hmm. because of what I have seen really occur in our, you know, modern medical model here, which rarely gets to the cause of your asthma, your migraines, your ulcerative colitis, whatever it is that you've been diagnosed with, there's mm-hmm. rarely any interest in that. So it's managing symptoms, and that's what I call disease care. We just manage the symptoms, we band-aid the symptoms, you know, whatever. Whereas healthcare really should be addressing the root cause. And, you know, mm-hmm. why do you have this? When did it start? What were the triggers? How can we undo that so that you don't have this diagnosis anymore and you can, you know, lead a life with no symptoms? Wow. That sounds so terrific. I I mean, I greatly don't have that situation in my life. And, you know, <clears throat> when those opioids opioids were so popular many years ago and people were on all these Oxycontin, Codin, whatever those things are to just try and manage their pain, too bad they yeah. didn't know more about acupuncture. Um, I know, I know. Yeah, it's, exactly. it's the truth. So why is your motto... it's what you do every day that matters most. So that's one of my newer mottos. And somebody asked me, you know, what do you say all the time in the clinic? And I said, well, I said, it's what you do every day that matters most because disease doesn't happen overnight, right? You didn't just wake up with a cancer diagnosis, right? It took many years, months, days to accumulate and so to really um, prevent disease, which is the spirit, the history of Chinese medicine was all about prevention, right? So your lifestyle prevented your sickness. And mm-hmm. now what I find is that people end up trying to reverse their symptoms, which is much harder. It's so much easier to prevent. So I like people to think about what are you doing every day that's cultivating health, that's preventing sickness? Because that's what's really going to add up. It's really how you make the most lasting change. You can go into the clinic once a week and get a treatment, but if you're going back to poor posture and not sleeping well and sleeping next to your router and eating poor food, then it's not that effective. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. <clears throat> and I imagine you do you see all, all ages. Do you see? Um, from your seniors to your teens, does does, that, does it matter who your practice um, helps? Uh, no, no. We okay. um, we see all ages. I love working with teenagers. I love, love, love because, you know, I really have the opportunity to influence the rest of their mm-hmm. life in a positive way. Um, helping young girls to stay off hormonal birth control, to come up with solutions that, you know, that's not going on hormone replacement um, to help them because I work in the fertility world and so many women that are struggling with fertility were on the pill or some other kind of birth control and they regret it. I believe it. those mm-hmm. hormones get stuck in the liver and they continue to send a message out from the liver to not conceive. 
Um, so we wow. really have to be careful. And there's we have so many solutions to help these girls with PMS, with acne. The number one reason that young girls go on hormonal exactly. birth control is acne. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, I yeah. remember so, that. I, <clears throat> yeah. That's very, that's very interesting. Um, I Actually, yeah. I had forgotten that because my teenager is um, far from a teenager today. But I do remember that yeah. way back in the days. Um, that, yeah. that's, that's very interesting. Let's, let's move over to the mind. And, okay. <clears throat> excuse me, I have had this dry thing going on in my throat. I don't know what you can do for that, but I'm drinking some water. So, <laughs> don't try to ignore this. Thank you. Yep. How did you end up studying and practicing Zen meditation some 30 years ago? Well, that, you know, no one ever asks me that question. So thank you, Marcia, for asking <laughs> You're me You're welcome. I'm glad I'm the one that asked you as a yogi. Go ahead. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Well, it's kind of a funny story. So, I mean, I've always, I'm, you know, I'm interested in astrology and personality theory and archetypal mm-hmm. therapy and, uh, you know, all of these systems we have available for us um, to know ourselves more. I think it's it's really uh, well worth the, the deeper dive in. Um, so I'm naturally a spiritually inclined person. So I was always mm-hmm. interested in philosophy and um, you know, all of this kind of spiritual endeavors, witchcraft, mm-hmm. things like that when I was a, you know, in middle and high school. Yes. And so when I started traveling as an undergraduate student, I met every Buddhist I met was a young, handsome guy. And so <laughs> I said, wow, this is where, you know, and like handsome and smart really does it for me. And so they were well-educated good-looking guys, and they were all Buddhists. And so I said, okay, I'm going to study Buddhism. There's got to be something to this. And so mm-hmm. I was living in upstate New York. I moved. I spent a year in East Africa studying um, all kinds of things, including healthcare there. And I came back to upstate New York, Syracuse, <laughs> because my mother um, had cancer. She was diagnosed mm-hmm. um, with breast cancer, and it was her last year to live. Um, so I came back here to spend time with her before she passed in 1991 mm-hmm. at age 41. Um, oh, so that my was gosh. Kind of, yeah. That's that was devastating. How it was, too, when she was diagnosed oh, and I was gosh. 12. So most wow. of my life was involved with oncology and seeing Mm -hmm. what didn't work and that was how I basically rebelled into healthcare and out of disease care and so I rebelled into health Um, and I said you know after that I'm going to go study macrobiotics you know and see what they're right over there yeah so um Anyhow, I was doing a self-study in Buddhism, and I just happened to move in to an apartment, which was literally one block from the Zen Center of Syracuse, which is the oldest, one of the oldest Zen centers in the country. No kidding. Wow, interesting. Yes. Yeah, the abbot there is Sherry Shyatt, a brilliant, amazing um, teacher, Rinzai Zen teacher, and... So I went there and started practicing. And I have to say it really is because of her personality that I was able to stick with it because Rinzai Zen is very arduous, challenging form of meditation. It's very strict Japanese-influenced 
um, practice. So I don't think I would have stuck with it if it were not for her. Right. And could you just briefly just say what kind of meditation that is? Yes. So is, is that it, is that the seated meditation? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, yeah. You sit in zendos. Um, there's different ways to sit, but usually see. you'll see. Yeah, it's a Japanese style uh, Mahayana. Um, you know, very traditional Buddhist mm-hmm. practice, and I most see. of the lineage is based on koan study and having a relationship with your teacher and mm-hmm. taking vows and yeah yeah so it's very ja- it's very formal can, japanese yeah. in its style yeah i can picture this i can picture your hands mm-hmm. at heart space um mm-hmm. i can you know i i i i i i do yoga and i do it from home now because once pandemic hit we just started doing it online, which means that anybody mm-hmm. can be part of this. They don't have to come to the studio to do that, which has worked very well. And she's actually a yoga therapist, and so she oh, nice. has a, uh, an education in that. But mm-hmm. let me ask you this, because everybody defines things in their own way. How do you define meditation? Um, yes, another good question. So, you know, I actually right now I do teach meditation at a drug uh, rehabilitation center in um, Syracuse, New York. Yeah, it's very challenging. And what I say to those folks, because mostly if you have not been exposed to the practice of meditation, you, you hear the word and it's kind of a lofty word. It's unattainable. You have pictures in your mind of people sitting, you know, not thinking at all very calmly. And that's not what's happening. You know, just because you can sit still doesn't mean you can keep your mind still. And it, it really, um, so people don't want to do it because they feel like a failure before they've even tried it. And Mm -hmm. so it really is concentration. So learning to concentrate your mind on one thing, and um, it can take a while. It's not easy, but it's well worth the effort. So, you know, it's really. Yeah. I, I'm excuse me for interrupting because it's you're you're mm-hmm. hitting so many trigger points for me. <clears throat> you know, for the longest time, particularly through this pandemic, you'd hear the term multitasking. I don't yeah. think there's probably anything worse for our brains, and I'll just speak for myself as a senior citizen person. Um, mm-hmm. That's when I get into the most trouble, when I start yeah. doing yeah. more than one thing at a time, and then it's like, where are my keys? You know, mm-hmm. Where's my, mm-hmm. where did I where did I leave my credit card on Saturday? Okay, right. Yeah, so know. you know. Um, <laughs> And so and and so you're thinking, well, okay, so I can see where for me, um, calming myself down in whatever my form of meditation is, is a way of calming down our mind. And I, and I really appreciated the fact that you, that you said that because people don't really sometimes take the time to realize, hang on, there's too much chatter going on up there. I need mm-hmm. to just hear one voice, and it needs to just be mine. And you know something? Mm-hmm. And, and then that voice 
has to be kind, without judgment, mm-hmm. which is one of the key words we hear in yoga, without judgment. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. What do you think is the difference between empathy and compassion? Because those are two very powerful words. And how, how do you define the difference between those two words? Um, yes. So another good question. So just so you know, after some years of practicing Zen meditation, I got involved with more of a Tibetan style um, okay. meditation practice. And the thing that I love about Tibetan Buddhism is the text. Um, sometimes, and you would probably like this too as a writer and a reader, the way that they define words are so precise. Sometimes the footnotes of any given, you know, paragraph are, you know, many more pages long than the text themselves because it's (laughs) very precise. And I didn't Mm -hmm. come to, you know, every decade has a story, right? And so I didn't really come to appreciate any of this level of precision and clarity until really after 25 years of practice. After Hmm. 30 years of practice, something really shifts. And I think anybody that's just practicing yoga for that long or, or whatever, your career, like you just, there's so, something subtle changes. And I really began to appreciate the clarity of some of these words because now mm-hmm. Zen is everywhere. They have Zen soap, Zen this, Zen that, you know. Right, right. And that's fine, you know, no judgment, right? Okay, Zen is, you know, making other people money, it, whatever, it, Right. So compassion is another word. Like, oh, we need to have compassion. You know, so I really started thinking about this word and, like, what does that mean? So, you know, I did a deeper dive into some of the texts that I have where some of my teachers really are very precise in the definition. So empathy is the ability to feel someone else's pain, to connect it with your pain and to feel their pain, right? So this should be a normal human thing that we feel all the time, right? Mm-hmm. We feel empathy towards our friends going through suffering. We know that. And we should feel this all the time for everybody because we're all in the same boat here. Some boats are nicer than others, but basically right. we're all in the same boat. Compassion is very different the way that it's been explained to me. Compassion is a true desire to liberate another person or yourself from suffering, right? To completely Hmm. liberate a person from suffering is different than I feel for you, you hurt your knee. Um, And so the way that you respond, and you can think of this as a parent, you know, sometimes you have to take the hard line as a parent. You're not always going to say, oh, poor you. Sometimes you're going to say, no, you need to get up and go right now because Mm -hmm. you know that that's what's going to actually help this person in the future. And so, um, so that's the difference. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I don't know, this is going to sound like I'm sexist when I say this, but I think as moms, it's not that dads don't do this too, but a lot of us as moms, we want to, we want to fix things. You know, mm-hmm. we we want to we want to take away whatever it is instead of just saying, "I understand." And is is that? Do I have that right? Uh, yes. Or not yeah, really. Correct that thinking. 
It's part okay. of it. I mean, here's the thing. In Buddhism, and I can't speak for anybody else, I don't know um, what motivates people to begin any practice, but in particular mm-hmm. Buddhism, I make no assumptions, especially around the globe. There's so many different reasons why people would live in a monastery. I mean, mm-hmm. we don't know. I make no assumptions about people ever. But if you really commit yourself to this path, it is the path of profound liberation. Liberation from what? From negative emotional states. Or really any mental afflictions, which could also be seen as too much joy. Too much of anything Hmm. is going to um, influence the energy in your body in a way that could be harmful. So to see if you are truly committed on the profound path of liberation, it's not for the fainted heart. It's really not. You have to be very resilient. You really are going to be pushing yourself way out of your comfort zone. And so um, it's not about getting comfortable. It's not about making our life here more comfortable. It's about freeing ourselves from the, the, the delusions of how we're viewing this life. Interesting. That's really interesting. So how would you say, or what would you say is a true spiritual practice based on all of these years of experience for you? Um, Kindness, cultivating kindness, caring, things that, you know, I don't know what it's like in the rest of the world, but here in upstate New York, it's been um, a very sad state of affairs there's a lot of anger there is a lack of caring about each other mm-hmm. and i think true spiritual practice it just comes down to goodness kindness caring listening paying attention yes. to the person in front of you making contact and if what you're doing in your so-called spiritual life is not leading you to that then you're on a deluded path. Mm-hmm. Man, you know, it's, it's interesting because, I, you know, I talk to a lot of people from all over the country and in my own neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I, I do. I talk to a lot of people because I'm truly interested in people. I'm a Rotarian. Um, I, we, 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 we do a lot of good, not only locally but, but internationally. Mm-hmm. And um, we really do. And sometimes, <clears throat> you know, you'll be talking to somebody and you'll say, oh, my God, did you see the news today? And I'll have some people say, you know what, Marsha, I can't watch the news anymore. I, I, I really, mm-hmm. I, can't, I can't hear about where the shooting happened, where this happened, where this, where this evil has landed. I, I, I don't watch the news mm-hmm. anymore because mm-hmm. I, I don't I don't want to go there. And I and I understand mm-hmm. that. I mean it's it's you know, it's, it's, these are some scary times if you spend a lot of time in front of the news. Um but um you we talked a little bit ahead of time before you and I got on the air together. And <clears throat> I'm really interested in this particular question because you posed this question to me and I'm curious to know about this. Is there a mm-hmm. downside to positive thinking? Uh, yes, definitely. So are you really? familiar with Barbara Ehrenreich? Do you know her? 
you no, I don't. Bright sided. The downside of okay. how positive thinking is ruining America. It's really oh. good. She's very smart. She's very funny. She really influenced me in this area because here's the thing: in you know spiritual practice, we should be ideally cultivating a mind of positivity. An untrained mind goes negative. That's a whole other conversation. So we have to get ourselves to neutral or above. And I do believe our thoughts are creating our reality. We are co-creating our reality. So you mm-hmm. want to be positive. You want to have a resilient outlook on life. But there is a point where it becomes toxic, right? Because sometimes bad things just happen. Bad things happen to good people. Bad things happen to yes. bad people. And so not everything has to be bright and cheery. You know, if you get in a car accident or if you fall down, that is just terrible. It's not good. And I don't like when people just try to make everything, you know, wonderful and amazing. And it's not. If you have to be honest. Listen, we talked about in the beginning about you have to be honest about your feelings in order to change them. If you want to heal your body, you have to understand you could have had a lot of repressed grief or rage in your tissue. And if you just keep telling yourself, oh, I'm happy, oh, this is great, but you really don't feel that way, this is where you're setting up conflict in yourself. And this is how disease begins to form. So you need to be mm-hmm. honest and allow people. Now, of course, if you, everybody has the friends where everything's doom and gloom no matter what, and I'm right. not talking about that, but I'm talking about letting yourself be honest if something didn't work out the way you wanted. Or in the case of Barbara Ehrenreich, she was diagnosed with breast cancer, and wherever she went, everybody told her what a wonderful opportunity it was for her to change her life and, you know, begin anew and all of this. And she really did not feel that way. She felt like it was just a horrible diagnosis. And um, <laughs> that's, I agree. <laughs> Yes, that's funny. Um, that that's that's very interesting. And you know, sometimes <clears throat> when you are feeling low, being positive isn't being honest. You know, and and it's so yeah. then how do you yeah. how do you share that with others? And and what mm-hmm. is the expectation when you do? And uh-huh. and what do you uh-huh. expect from them when you do share that? Um, It is very interesting. I'd like to talk a little bit now about karma. Um, Mm -hmm. And and I would like to know your definition of karma. So, you know, honestly, I have to say, I mean, I have been influenced by all of my teachers in the text. Mm -hmm. So uh, mostly what I say in terms of definition is coming from them. Mm -hmm. I had the the good fortune of studying with Gallic Rinpoche, the founder of Jewel Heart. He passed away in 2017, but um, I transcribed one of his weekend talks on karma. So it was, you know, maybe like 40 hours of teaching on this one subject. And it's it's a great way to get to know uh, material is transcribing. And so I Mm -hmm. highly recommend doing that. Um, and he defined, now we know that there's many definitions of the word karma. Everybody knows it as causation, cause and effect, right? You do this and then that happens. Right. And it's much more complicated than that. And I do believe there's many, many layers of karma. In fact, it's so complicated that he said, used to say that there's really very few people on the planet that have the capacity to understand the true definition of karma. 
because we mm. just oversimplify it and we can't really comprehend the magnitude and the complexity of it. But he said that it translate one of the definitions is the word show um, in Tibetan, and that translates as correction. And at first that didn't make sense to me, but now that I've been sitting with it for a couple of years, it makes complete sense because the correction begins in the mind. And when you change your mind, you change your view, then you start to influence karma and how your life is going to change. You influence outcomes. That's interesting. That so when sense? you change your mind, you change... I'm writing this down. So when you change your mind, please re- please repeat that if you wouldn't mind. When you yeah, change so your mind, correction. you change so the de- your view. Mm-hmm. So if the definition is correction, you think about mm-hmm. where does that correction begin? The correction begins in the mind. So you're mm-hmm. changing your view. And when you change your view, you really change your life. You're changing, you're influencing the outcomes of your life through the correction in your mind. And Mm. I, you know, I hate that our prison system uses this word corrections, correctional facilities, because it's not that, unfortunately, that's a whole nother conversation, but ultimately that is where the correction Mm. has to begin. Right. And, you know, I might just add what the things that we're talking about right now don't, um, become learned overnight. You've you've been doing this for for decades, and and you just continue to grow in that practice. So I I don't want people to think, oh gosh, you know, I'm in my 70s. This is way too late for me to start doing this. I don't agree with that. I, I really don't agree with that. And how no, can one just of course not. right? So how can one change their so-called karma? What what's the way to do that? Well, um, something I recently read, again, uh-huh. from Gallic Rinpoche, was he, he was saying there are actually 362 changes that occur every single second. So, wow. you know, quantum, quantum physics has already taught us that, our, that there's nothing solid in the universe, right? And in Buddhism, it's called dependent arising. It's based on the theory of emptiness, which is quantum theory. So you can break everything down. So that should be good news for us. It can be disturbing Mm -hmm. for people because mostly people like control, a sense of control, which is another delusion. But the thing that we can control, if we're lucky, is our mind, right? So we should focus on the things that we can control is our mind and our emotions. And you can simply start influencing your mind. And I talk to people all the time about this. Well, there's nothing I can do. Yeah, yeah, you can. You can start, like, let's say you want to help a friend and you're not really sure how to help them. You can visualize for them. You can pray Mm -hmm. for them. You can use the creative visualization in your mind to send them offerings. You can surround them with light, with flowers, with money, with books, whatever it is that you feel would help them. And so already you're practicing a huge amount of generosity, um, which is, you know, an important way to influence positive karma. Well, and here's the other thing. Most people think of karma as negative. Oh, well, that must be his karma. You know, he got in a car accident or whatever. But we rarely think about it in terms of positive. 
Like, oh, yeah, she won the lottery. Oh, that's her good karma. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. funny. So, I think you're. I think you're right about that. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So. Well. Um, <clears throat> yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, you had you, okay. you had a thought there that you I wanted to let you finish your thought. Uh, no, we can influence um, things all the time. We have an opportunity every single moment of every day. We can. Um, influence our mm-hmm. you know our life in a very positive way and that kind of leads me into the emotional side which is the spirit and how how i, I know we're not going to have enough time to do all of this <clears throat> because it's such an interesting subject but how do you suggest people overcome emotional afflictions Mm-hmm. So I love that you're that you know we're combining the spiritual with the emotional because I truly right. believe that it is. I really like that a lot, and that took me a long time to to kind of get comfortable with that. Um, so you know, it by any means necessary. That's what I say. <laughs> Whatever okay. it takes. Okay, because it is the most important thing that you will do in your life is to free yourself emotionally and. Whether it's um, therapy, talk therapy, working on the brain, hypnosis, meditation, I don't care what you do as long as you continue to do it. And Mm -hmm. I think that you, I always tell people in the clinic, do whatever you're drawn to. People come in and say, you know, well, what do you think about Reiki? Should I do that? I always say yes. If you're drawn to it, there's probably a reason. If you can afford it and you like the practitioner, go for it. So everything is going to help you. And now we have such an abundance of information and modalities and techniques, especially in the field of trauma. It's amazing what's happening. And Mm -hmm. go for it. SRI in particular, somatic respiratory integration, I have seen people change in short amount of time doing that work with the right practitioner. Um, The Bob Monroe Institute, Binary Beats, amazing work. I mean, you can literally change your brain in a very short amount of time, but you have to be comfortable with truly letting the old story go. It's like Byron Katie. I don't know if you heard of her, but really knowing that if you do this work, you can no longer be a victim and you've got to shed the old story of that. Whatever's keeping Mm -hmm. you stuck, you've got to say goodbye. I I like that. Yeah, You you had sent me um, something that I've never heard of. And it's called tongue, toes, hum technique. What is that? <laughs> yeah, so that's, so <laughs> that's really funny. That. I had mentioned that. I know. I didn't know what else to call it. So okay, basically, you know what I found. So the first two decades that I practiced Zen meditation, I had no idea that I was meditating while in fight or flight mode. So you can oh. meditate. You can be on the beach, and you can still be in fight or flight. Right. The nervous system has to be trained to go into a relaxed state, right? So you can be doing whatever whatever it is you're doing. You can either be doing it in fight or flight or rest and digest. So it really was when I did light therapy for the first time and I put this red and blue eye mask over my eyes, it, it encouraged or introduced my nervous system into a state of relaxation that I had never felt before. Mm. And I said, mm. oh, my gosh, this is what it feels like to be relaxed. And wow. so 
in the clinic, it's the same thing. I would notice people that really healed in just a couple of sessions, they were able to go into a state of relaxation. The ones that weren't were in fight or flight. So through the decades I've studied with, you know, amazing physical therapists, really great people that have shared life-changing information. So I kind of put it all together with my own twist. So what I do is I get people to put their tongue between their top and bottom teeth. That relaxes the jaw. You have to learn to open the jaw and keep it relaxed Hmm. with your lips closed. You don't want to walk around with your lips open. My grandmother would always say the flies were going to get in. So keep your lips closed. Okay. But you can put your, if you put your tongue between your top and bottom teeth, you're never consciously going to bite your tongue, right? No. So it's just a matter of training yourself to stop clenching. Then mm. you can gently curl your toes, right? So now you're sending your energy out um, of your thinking mind down to your feet, right? So already yeah. you're shifting into rest and digest. And yes. then the hum is what you can do with your mind. Like in yoga, they do om and mm-hmm. zen. You know, you may do mu. It's a way to concentrate your mind. And so I get people to, to hum or om, but om didn't really sound tongue toes om. Not many people would get it. So I call it tongue toes hum. So That's... while they're doing their, what I call the needle nap, I try to encourage people to do this so they really can maximize the, the experience of relaxing. Wow, that's that's I I had never heard of that before, but I can assure you, I'll be talking to my yoga instructor about this. Um, <laughs> yeah, because she's going to say yeah, yes. I'll teach you guys. Um, I'll teach you on yeah. Zoom. I'll show you how to do there it. There you go. There you go. Um, <laughs> what do you mean when you say you're not waiting, you're living? What does exactly. that mean? I say that. I say that all the time because, like, just with the tongue toe thumb, so people say, oh, my gosh, I waited in the doctor's office for 40 minutes. Don't do that. Uh-huh. Do, yeah. do relaxation. Meditate. Mm-hmm. Start training your nervous breathe. system. Breathe. And also breathe. Exactly. Stop waiting because so much of our life is happening in between things, in between events. And so just start embracing them as this is your time you work on your mind to practice generosity for strangers. I mean, I sit on the bus or wherever on the subway, and I imagine sending light to people. I send them flowers. Mm. I send them money. I send them whatever I think that I feel would benefit them the most. And it's really fun. And, you know, we think our thoughts are private. They're not. People feel what you're thinking, And so when you start practicing like this, you know, sending the secretary that looks very stressed, send her flowers with your mind, surround her with love and light, and see what happens. It's amazing, the Mm -hmm. result. That's that's really cool. So why do you think fake it till you make it will help us? (laughs) Because it sounds like like you're moving in that direction. Oh, yeah, so we used to say that a lot, you know, and I think it's true, you know, in when I teach meditation to the inpatient population, it's amazing how many people have never allowed themselves to imagine that they were completely happy, completely healthy. What would it feel like if you had all the money, all the friends, all the support in the world? Mm-hmm. And what does that 
feel like in your body? What color is it? What shape? What texture? This is the feeling you want to become extremely intimate with. And so to introduce this idea to people that you can simply fantasize about these feelings, because we know through all of the science that's now done and the positive psychology movement, which is amazing, that things begin in the feeling realm. You have to feel it, see it, and then it will create. So you have to feel. If you want to be happy, you have to feel happy sometimes. So sometimes you just force yourself into a feeling. And I did this myself many years ago. I decided, you know what, I'm just going to pretend that I'm extremely happy here. Upstate New York is a challenging place to live um, on some levels, some levels not, but And so I just said, you know what, I'm going to just say that I'm really happy driving down the street, anywhere I go. And then one day I realized I was. I became Mm -hmm. that. Just kind of happy all the time, kind of blissed out. (laughs) Well, you know, it's funny. Um, I'm very observant with people, people I know, people I don't know. And um, I like to walk around my neighborhood. I live very close to a university, so I'll walk over to Loyola Marymount. And I'm always, I'm always interested what happens when you make eye contact with a stranger. Some people yeah. won't even do that. But and mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm not even judging them. That's just what they're doing. But if you can make eye contact with somebody, the next thing. Okay, let me speak for myself. If I'm making eye contact with somebody, I'm absolutely going to smile. And I'm absolutely going to say, hello, or how are you today? What kind Mm -hmm. of a dog is that? Whatever. Mm -hmm. It's it's human to human. And I think we all could do a better job of that. I know that when somebody just acknowledges you, you don't know what that total stranger has been going through. You have no idea what they've been going through. But sometimes Mm -hmm. the smile from a total stranger, when you said feel it, see it, and create it, you mm-hmm. don't know what mm-hmm. that does for that person. And mm-hmm. you're not doing that so that it makes you feel better. No. I mean, maybe you get that as the side effect. Gosh, that made me feel really good when I said hi to her and she's telling me about her dog. I'm glad I asked. That's fine. But guess what? She is as much if not more happy that you asked. So I think yeah. that, you know, I mean, I understand we don't all have the same personalities, Jennifer. I understand that not everybody is willing to speak to a stranger just because, you know, I, I've i just never had a problem doing that because that's humanity to me at its finest. And, you know, you can tell if somebody is busy doing something i can tell it's like you know what i i want to talk with you right now i'm really trying to concentrate on where are the carrots so i i get that you know but yeah i think that there's there needs to be in my opinion more human kindness today than ever before yeah, we oh, are definitely. so connected we are so connected on so many levels with the technology who could have ever imagined when you and I were teenagers, that there would be these kinds of opportunities, you know. We thought we were really cool if we had a flip phone back in the day, you know. Mm -hmm, Um, So mm -hmm, things have so mm -hmm. changed. And so I'd like to ask you, 
because I know we're coming to the close of the hour. What's the one thing that we can do to really expand our view and consciousness? And maybe there's more than one. Um, That's a good question. Uh, I guess a couple things. One is get comfortable with not knowing. I think we're all very committed to our view and we assume it's right and that we know the truth of whatever the situation is. And we rarely have the whole story. So if you want to expand your mind, get comfortable with the not knowing. Um, And please know that there are many, many sides to any story. Whatever story you're listening to, if you are feeling that this is it, this is the truth, this has got to be the only side of the story, please find another story that's saying the opposite of that. Because you will Hmm. start to see that it's all about interpretation and view, and it's hard to really ascertain what is the absolute truth in any situation. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that makes, you know, and and what makes sense to that response on Monday might be an entirely different response to the same situation on Tuesday. Mhm. Mhm. Am I right? Mm-hmm. I mean, is is that true? Yeah. I, I, you know, yeah. just being like what you just said, just being comfortable with not knowing, um, is pretty pretty powerful, especially. Yeah. If your personality is then I put in quotes a control freak, what do you mean? Yeah. What what, exactly. what, what, what do you mean? How how would I not know? I, what, I, I'm, I, right. I'm not I'm not going to settle for not knowing. I need to know. And right. I mean there are times when there are things we need to know, but you're talking about the spirit of the body. You're talking about health. You're talking about you know, how we're dealing with life as, as human beings on this earth and and yeah. doing our very best. And I, I'm sure that you've had many a success story, and maybe it even starts with you. I don't know. But I'm sure with all of these years of practice, and it's really funny the word practice, because that in itself, as you put the quotes around the word practice, practice means you're still learning. That's oh, what it means to me, right? Oh, yeah. You're you're still oh, learning, and and I would presume that that you that even you know you are a practitioner and you are still learning as well, aren't you? Oh my gosh, every day from everyone, mm-hmm. I learn every day, all day from everyone. Yeah, it yeah. never stops. Yeah, yeah I, I think I think that's that's really important. I mean, I don't think everybody is necessarily interested in that, and that's fine. You know, not we're not all built the same way, and we're not I don't think for one moment you're putting us all in a bubble and saying, "Well, if you just do this, you'll be fine." Because th- that you have to come to those conclusions on your own. But if you're seeing yeah. people in your practice, this is your way of helping them heal. Correct? Mhm. It's customized. Yeah. It's never one size fits all. Yeah. So, yes, everybody's going to benefit from certain things. But when it comes to healing, I don't believe in a big program. I believe each person needs a customized protocol. 
Yeah. It's very personal because it's emotional. It, it is. And I presume that you must do a lot of talking with your clients to get to know them, to help them recognize their pathway. Uh, I believe I was born to talk, yes. <laughs> oh, I get that. I've heard I've, somebody, somebody else I know is like that. Um, exactly. Well, you know... But but there's always going to be the the talkers in the world, but the yes. talkers like to have listeners as well. And I suppose yes. when I look at myself and um, engage in my thought processes, I recognize that there are times when I could be a much better listener because I'm already um, prepared to respond to what you've said and you haven't even finished your thoughts, and I'm already there. And so we all, I mean, that's something that I know I need to work on. I need to be mm-hmm. a better listener. And and that's okay. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make me a bad person. That just gives me right. something to work towards. And um, and calming myself down, and like I say, I, I'm bringing those shoulders <laughs> down where they belong. That's, that's, right. that's a good part of it. But I just... I'm I'm so grateful to be doing what I do every week and to have such interesting people join me each and every week and you are no exception and I want to remind people really I your your website is fabulous there's a lot of information on there and remember my friends it's simply jenniferwaters.net not .com not .org .net and um I just want to thank you Jennifer, for spending this hour oh, with you. me because it's it's really been enlightening. You've given me a lot to think about. I do take notes, and of course I can't read my handwriting. But uh, you know, uh, <laughs> I, you know what is it about that? <laughs> oh, good. Oh, that makes me feel so much better. Thank you for understanding what I just said. Oh my gosh, that's that's that's, that's really great. Well, I wish you the very best. At some point, I'm sure there's a book in there that you're going to write. So uh-huh. have you thought about it? Oh, yeah, it'll be a while before that. Okay. I need a lot okay. more insight before I write a book. But thank you okay. so much for this opportunity. Well, it's been a lot well, of fun. It has been a ton of fun. And everyone, I hope you've enjoyed this. Share it with your friends. Finish, uh, visit Jennifer's website to learn more about this. And um, I just want to thank you so very much for spending this time with me today. It's just been outstanding. (sighs) Thank you, Marcia. You're welcome. Bye, everybody. Have a great week.